Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast in this brand new year. I'm Lucas here with Brian. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing well, man. It's feeling uh, 2020. It is. We're in a whole new decade. I was telling somebody the other day, I hope it's like the, the, the 1920s, you know, without the 1930s and 40s, but the 20s. The were, Roaring 20s? The Roaring 20s, yeah. You mean the time that the Nazi party escalated to a uh, a fever pitch? I really don't think they got going until the 30s. Was it the 30s? Yeah, it was early 30s. That was when they kind of started going. I think in the 20s, you know, Hitler was still trying to be a painter or something. You know what? That was completely right. Yeah, for some reason I uh, correlated World War One and my history. I'm bad at history. Let's yeah. just say that. Right. I just know that Warhol in the twenties did his best stuff. And <laughs> what? <laughs> Warhol was not in the twenties. <laughs> like I said, I'm bad at history. I just want to say that the invention of yogurt in the 1920s was one of the better things to come out of that decade from Napoleon, right? Napoleon didn't, but Bill Cosby had a hand in it. <laughs> Jello pudding pops. And just trust me, there's no <laughs> oh, what? Okay, we're not gonna go there. But yeah. um yeah, I so will we'll... say, yeah, the the roaring twenties. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to recreate the war- the roaring twenties. Me too. I hope it's good. I actually feel very hopeful about a new decade. See, sometimes I don't think that's a good sign. Why? I think if you go into it just kind of like prepared for the worst, then things always end up really good. I do that always, though, and look where it's gotten me. <laughs> Jack squat. No, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I do feel like this, this change is going to actually be good. 2020 yeah. is going to be a good thing for everyone. Good. And I think everyone should have that expectation. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. So you wanted to talk about what? Dosages? Well, no. No. You know, Something I thought else. dosages, but, but can, can, do you mind if we digress into... Yeah, let's digress. Um, I just saw the last Star Wars Okay, I saw it too. ...movie. What'd you think? I thought it was entertaining. It was fluffy. It didn't have a lot of nuance. I mean, it didn't have a lot of like deep dives into any of the characters. Like... You know, there was the relationship. There, it was like sterile. There was yeah. barely any relationships in there, and so it was just you know, it was okay. It was entertaining. It was like see, yeah, exactly. You know. Set pieces strung together by some lots of explosions and exposition. Cool laser beams. You know, it looked really cool. It felt really cool, but at the end of the day, it was like cotton candy. I just felt like it <laughs> after. I mean, it was fine. But when you came up with the original trilogy, like the way I did, this is totally nerding out. By the way, totally. Um, it was incredible. And then you, there's, uh, uh, with The Force Awakens, I was very hopeful, even though it was a total retread of the original trilogy. I hated The Last Jedi with such fervor. And mm. for those of you who have already tuned out, that was the last film in the series that came out, episode eight. I hated it so much that it pretty much ruined Star Wars for me and and somehow crushed a part of my childhood. Oh, it's so sad. I don't know why that is. It, it really, I put so much hope in this film and then you look forward to it and then it doesn't pay off. This movie felt like a course correction. Yes. They were trying to <laughs> fix some of the things that people were totally not happy with. Totally trying to fix a lot of things. But that in itself kind of ruined it because it seemed like fan service. So Yeah, you just commit, right? There was no, it was a no win. But I did like the Ben Demption 
Ben coming back to that, even though he killed his dad, that scene with Han Solo, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, there's a scene with Harrison Ford. Uh, I can't believe we're talking about this on this podcast no, right cool, now. Man. But it, right. it's something that I was very passionate about for many, many years, a big Star Wars guy. And I, I feel kind of disillusioned with the end of it. See, I think the whole Star Wars franchise is hinging on Empire Strikes Back. Okay, if you just take the first Star Wars movie, it's groundbreaking, revolutionary. Right. It's amazing. But Empire Strikes Back really made it deep it's and amazing. It's so good, dude. It's the best out of all of them. And since then, it's like if they just came out with a second one that was fluff and it was kind of like, oh, it's like the first, you know, woohoo. Yeah. Then everyone would have been like, yeah, that's was, that was cool. But Empire's made it a thing. It was like, wow, there's really like deep artistic, totally. surprising quality in this. And darkness. And darkness and the dark father and all that stuff. I mean, yes. it's got great archetypes and stuff. And so it's just all been going since that movie. And they, they've never really reached that same level of depth and nuance in any of the other ones. The funny thing is, after Empire came out, every other movie that tried to follow some of the tropes and, and some of the other <laughs> things that happened, like the I am your father moment, mm-hmm. I don't know, number one, how I didn't see that coming because now you see every twist coming like a mile away, it seems like. It was the yeah. birth of the twist or some kind of shock ending, and they've never been able to pull it off in the same way since then. I just don't know if they've taken the risk. You know, they haven't... I think it was a risk, the I am your father moment. And I don't know if they've ever taken that kind of risk since. Right. You know what I mean? I do. But anyways, I'm I'm, I'm happy that it's all over. <laughs> but I'm also sad with what could have been. And uh, I know this sounds crazy, but when you tie a lot of your childhood around you know those memories and that sort of thing it does somehow piss on your parade yeah but at at the end of the day i was like all right this was all right it was all right yep i love you i love you too man oh you're supposed to say i know oh (laughs) i was like wow he really likes this rant um All right. Okay. Let's, let's get, get to into the, it. Let's get to the subject at hand. We're going to do a little bit of a controversial uh, podcast. We're going to talk about nicotine today. This is the controversial podcast? Yeah, I, I would say I so. I thought they all are in a, in a way. In a way, I guess. Yeah, this yeah. is controversial in a different way. So it's really interesting, nicotine, and it is having a bit of a resurgence in popularity especially with vaping. Right. Uh, so most people know nicotine. It's the addictive substance in tobacco. But thanks to modern chemistry, we can actually separate those two out and see what nicotine does by itself away from tobacco. Uh, so the reason I'm interested in nicotine is basically a personal reason. And I've actually been using recently uh, some nicotine lozenges and patches. I just saw the patch on your chest yeah, right so you, now. So you can... You in can real time. Yeah, he's got it me. on. So I, I've mentioned before on the podcast, you know, some of my problems this last year with asthma and having breathing problems. And so the doctors, just to kind of give you a little recap of that, the doctors basically want to put the asthma label on me, kind of give me inhaled steroids mm. and send me on my way. But, you know, I, I don't want to do that. It's like, no. I, I do not accept that. You know, there's a reason. Uh, it, might, it might take me 15 years, but I'm going to find that reason. So there's probably also a gut component or stomach thing going on as well. And the thing is, I've tried just about every supplement I can think of to tackle this issue and nothing has done much. Now, one of the possible diagnoses 
uh, diagnoses I was looking at was gastroparesis. And this is when the stomach does not empty properly and food kind of gets stuck sitting in your stomach. Ew. It's really common in type 1 diabetics. Right. So as I'm researching, I come across this Dr. Diana Driscoll who specializes in helping people with POTS. Now, if you've never heard of POTS, it's basically an ailment where your heartbeat speeds up when you stand up from a sitting position. And it happens slightly for me, but it's it's not really that big and a that's deal. that's the blood pooling thing that we've talked about before in the podcast? I don't know exactly what it is. It's something to do with, with B1 deficiency or something okay. like that. But it's not a big deal. It doesn't affect my life. Right. Um, and for normal people, you know, their heart rate stays the same or, or about the same when they stand up. It might elevate a little bit. But yeah. anyway... That's not the only symptom, though, with POTS. So some people with POTS get dizzy, they have brain fog, uh, and then when it's really bad, people can get like chest pain and heart problems and like just really have a hard time functioning right. at all. So anyway, this Dr. Driscoll, she starts connecting POTS, gastroparesis, and some of these other symptoms I'm having, and my brain starts to make these connections. Like, I'm listening to her explain her theory, and she told this story about having really bad constipation. And so she didn't have a bowel movement, I think, for like 11 days or something. my Lord. I know. That's rough. So her theory was that she was low on acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter that activates the vagus nerve and would allow her to go to the bathroom. Yes. So the vagus nerve, it's this super long nerve that runs through your heart, your liver, your stomach, pancreas, just kind of goes everywhere. Yeah. Uh, And the problem with acetylcholine is you can't take it directly. Your stomach just breaks it down. So she needed an acetylcholine agonist, something that ups acetylcholine, Mm -hmm. that would activate that receptor in her vagus nerve. So it turns out nicotine somewhat mimics acetylcholine. So she threw a patch on and lo and behold, she like had a bowel movement or whatever. Weird, but I mean, that that's a diuretic anyways, isn't it? Nicotine? It is, yeah. And that that's probably part of the reason why. Okay. So anyway, after hearing this, I thought, why not? Let's try some nicotine. So I went down to Walgreens. I got some four milligram uh, nicotine lozenges. I popped one. Now, I, I smoked a little bit in college. I did some hookah, you know, at some parties and stuff. But I, I probably <laughs> <Some> haven't... hookah. <laughs> but I probably haven't <laughs> smoked in like 10 years or so. So that first lozenge was a total doozy. I mean, I broke out in a cold sweat. I felt like I was going to throw up. I was totally <laughs> spaced. My limbs felt weak. I was thinking like, oh my gosh, there's no way I'm ever going to do this ever again. <laughs> but a few hours later, some of the asthma and digestive issues were much less. So the next day I did another lozenge. It wasn't so bad. It got me thinking. Did it still make you sick a little bit though the next not, day? Or not really. Yeah. Like like it was that first one that was like, you know, your dad catches you smoking a cigarette <laughs> and he makes you eat a cigar or right. something, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I got to thinking, you know, we need to do a podcast on nicotine because it's one of the most malign substances in America. And even doing research into nicotine, like there's just so much stigma around it right and really for good reason um you know a lot of people die from smoking and it's it is considered one of the leading causes of preventable death in the entire world something like a billion people have died but that's not due to the nicotine that's due more to the carcinogens and the smoking material right exactly exactly so that's why nicotine you're throwing the baby out with the bath water is correct so before we go on i'm just going to give this disclaimer um just to protect our butts a little bit so as a medication nicotine replacement therapy can help people stop smoking we are not recommending the general use of nicotine by airing this podcast if you want to quit smoking talk to your healthcare provider stop smoking program should also include counseling and additional support this podcast is meant to summarize data from the scientific literature for informational purposes only 
Emerson Rose and Partners. <laughs> <laughs> so tobacco, it's, it's definitely bad for you. Just like you were saying, you know, just make no bones about it. If you're smoking, you are breathing in like hydrocarbons and other carcinogenic crap. Crazy things. It's, it is really detrimental to your long-term health. And even people who chew tobacco, I mean, you can just look at them, their faces get eaten off, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's bad. It's, it's really not good. bad. And there's actually a cool site, I'll put the link in the show notes, that compares the faces of twins where one of them has smoked for many years and the other didn't. And I, That's I, weird that one twin would smoke and the other one wouldn't because they always seem pretty simpatico. Yeah, well, for some reason, some twins have done this. That's awesome. It is pretty awesome. <laughs> and it's really easy to see which one is the smoker and which one isn't. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, so so back in the day, I worked to this big uh, techno event, uh, EDC, I think Electric Daisy Carnival, mm-hmm. and I was like a brand ambassador and I worked in the Marlboro tent, um, just like signing people up to go inside or whatever. Yeah. And one thing I remember very distinctly was how few attractive people actually visited the tent like most people who smoke for a long time just looked bad yeah they don't look good no they don't look no offense good. i mean like if you smoke and it's subjective we'll just say that too <laughs> there are objective uh <laughs> signs of beauty <laughs> don't let them fool you oh man <laughs> well i used to actually be a smoker and i was a smoker for a long time really started how many in years? high school well i started in high school and then I went to like from starting off with like camel lights and then was eventually a marble red smoker, which I look back now and go, what was I doing? That's wow. like what the Marlboro man smokes. Yeah, you thought and you were a cowboy. He's dead always. They're always dead. <laughs> That's the thing about the Marlboro They will die. Um, and I'm not going to do that. I've already decided um, I'm not going to die. Good. Did I mention that before? No, but yeah. we'll do a podcast. We'll, we'll on do it. a podcast on that. Um, but no, I was a smoker for a long time, and then it got to the point where in my thirties, I was just smoking when I drank. Okay. But I drank all the time, so yeah. I wouldn't smoke all day long. And I always was judgmental of people who could wake up and have that morning cigarette. I was like, "Oh, that's disgusting." Yeah. First thing in the morning. Yet I would smoke a pack at the bar that night. You nice. Know? So not, not uh, terrible. And now I look, I cannot believe that I, I, I cannot, I look at that person, I go, how did you ever put that shit to your mouth? <laughs> Just terrible. Your whole, your clothes smell, everything's, and you feel terrible, generally yeah. feel terrible. But the nicotine that keeps bringing you back, I am imagine that's what it is that brings you back, mm. the nicotine, because there is something about that that relaxes you and makes you feel like everything's okay. Yeah. So I didn't know this. But only about 30 smokers, I'm sorry, 30% of smokers die from an ailment that is related to their smoking. Some studies say it's as high as 50%, but it's lower than what I actually thought. Really? Yes. And what's really interesting, like you mentioned before, is when you remove nicotine from tobacco, you remove about 90% of the risks involved with smoking. And so I want to give the positive side of nicotine first before we get into some of the downsides, <laughs> like usual. Uh, because nicotine still does have some risks, for sure. Yes. Uh, but they're far less when you smoke. So this guy, uh, Michael Russell, he is the person that many consider to be the grandfather of tobacco harm reduction. He said in 1976, people smoke for nicotine, but they die from the tar. Again, this is just showing that we've really known for a long time that the act of smoking is what actually kills you. Mm. Uh, The Royal Society of Public Health said that the risks associated with nicotine are not that far off from the risks associated with caffeine that millions of people consume 
uh, with their morning coffee. So nicotine might be on par with high amounts of caffeine or moderate alcohol intake. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, nicotine is also not just found in tobacco either. Most nightshades have nicotine in them. So you're going to find small amounts of nicotine in tomatoes, eggplants, and potatoes as Tomacco. well. Tomacco, exactly. <laughs> uh, Neil Borowitz, he's another author. He wrote an, a book on nicotine. It's widely acclaimed. It's called Nicotine Safety and Toxicity. And he found that nicotine poses no significant cardiovascular risk and that nicotine on its own is not cancer-causing. Uh, the book looked at nicotine use when separated from smoking and found that there were basically no adverse side effects. Really? Yeah. Now, getting back to tobacco... This is something else that's interesting. Tobacco is far more addicting than nicotine. There are compounds within tobacco separate from nicotine that are MAO inhibitors, which increase brain neurotransmitters and kind of act like antidepressants. Wow. So smoking it would be, you'd be more apt to get addicted to it than you would be chewing it? Correct. Well, not chewing tobacco, but like having a lozenge of pure nicotine right. or whatnot. Now, tobacco companies, you know, the darlings that they are, they also increase the addictiveness of smoking by adding chemicals that make nicotine absorb faster and hit harder. <sighs> A great analogy I came across while doing this research uh, was that cigarettes are kind of like the junk food of tobacco. So they have like added flavor enhancers, all kinds of crap that make them, you know, amazing and extremely Terrible. addictive, like Doritos yeah. or something like that. Just sprayed. Now, if you get tobacco leaf and dry it out and roll your own cigarettes, it'd be more akin to having like a home-cooked meal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yum, so, yum. All that said, nicotine, it can be treated as separate from tobacco is what I'm saying. Uh, in fact, in animal studies, it's relatively easy to get mice addicted to tobacco and relatively difficult to get mice addicted to nicotine. Hmm. So there's an article from discovermagazine.com that described this really well. Uh, it'll be in the show notes too. And they said, I'm just going to quote it from here. Uh, Perhaps most surprising is that in studies by Boyd and others, nicotine has not caused addiction or withdrawal when used to treat disease. These findings fly in the face of nicotine's reputation as one of the most addictive substances known, but it's a reputation built on myth. Tobacco well may well be as addictive as heroin, as some have claimed, but as scientists know, getting mice or other animals hooked on nicotine alone is dauntingly difficult. As a 2007 paper in the journal uh, Neuropharmacology put it, tobacco use has one of the highest rates of addiction of any abused drug. Paradoxically, it's almost impossible to get laboratory animals hooked on pure nicotine, though it has a mildly pleasant effect. And we don't want to condone mice smoking on this podcast, but it is so cute, guys, and their little <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know how they do that. I, I know they pump like smoke into they have to. that's all it their, is right? into their like sealed cage or something like that, and make them do things to like oh. get into a sealed cage with smoke in it or something like that. Oh, I don't know. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> it's but better than not. mice. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as benefits, nicotine by itself has not really been extensively studied like tobacco has, but scientists have been looking at it for some different cognitive health issues. So in 2008, Paul Newhouse, who's the director of the Center for Cognitive Medicine at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, say that five times fast, <laughs> looked at the performance on a series of cognitive tasks in 15 non-smoking ADHD patients. So these patients either wore a seven milligram nicotine patch or a placebo patch. 
And what they found was that after around 45 minutes, the young adults with the nicotine patch were significantly better at inhibiting an impulse, uh, delaying a reward, and remembering an image that they had seen uh, than those who wore the placebo patches. That just seems so daunting. I, I, hats off to these people doing the research because, my God. Yeah. Can you? Yeah, it's interesting. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. So in another study, Organ Health Sciences University found that uh, nicotine was effective in increasing alertness in both smokers and non-smokers. And psychologist Jennifer Rusted of University of Sussex in Britain called nicotine the most reliable cognitive enhancer that we currently have. Hmm. That's a pretty good moniker. Yeah. So nicotine, it can also be particularly useful to those with an autoimmune condition. I was really interested in this because I have read over the years many stories of people who had some kind of like autoimmune issue who found a lot of benefit from smoking or nicotine and and really had a really tough time not using it. Uh, Some researchers say nicotine is an anti-inflammatory alkaloid, uh, which is based on animal studies. And these researchers, they believe that nicotine may actually suppress inflammation by acting on the vagus nerve, kind of like we talked about earlier. Uh, but they're, they're, they're just animal studies. You know, they haven't been looked at in humans. Right. So in other mice studies, low concentrations of topically applied nicotine promote wound healing. Uh, there's also other studies on nicotine and Parkinson's disease. Researchers noticed in population studies, meaning, you know, not terribly rigorous, uh, that those who smoke were far less likely to develop Parkinson's disease. Mm. And actually, the Michael J. Fox Foundation has has sponsored some studies on nicotine as an intervention for Parkinson's. <laughs> really? Yeah, they, they haven't found much so far, though. Well, sadly. little known fact, Michael J. Fox was actually a smoker. Oh, was he really? Yes. Oh, Closeted. wow. They kept. I remember when Back to the Future came out, there was like a press photo that came out, and they they hit it really quick, but with a cigarette in his hand, and he was a closet smoker for ever for years and years until he actually got diagnosed. You know, I also heard he was a huge Diet Coke fiend. I heard he, Diet Pepsi. He was the actual Pepsi. He was the spokesperson for Diet. I Pepsi. heard he guzzled that. I'm stuff. sure he did. Yeah, he got it by the vat. I wonder free. if that if that did something there. But it couldn't have been good. He probably was on drugs too. I mean, he probably well, let's did not a speculate, but I would say candy. cocaine. I mean, I yeah, he he did some <laughs> nose candy because I, and that's another thing that's weird is how often it seems like somebody who gets Parkinson's later in life had a little bit of a problem earlier in life with speed specifically. I've yeah. seen that and cocaine. And I've also seen uh, people with baldness issues as, as a result of using that. <laughs> and don't look at me like that. I am bald as the day I was born, but it doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about. It's a different episode. So lastly, nicotine, it has this really strange relationship with insulin resistance. Uh, some studies are saying that nicotine worsens is- insulin sensitivity. Other studies say that it's the opposite. And personally, I found my blood sugars were way were worse on nicotine at first. Mm. And then as I use it more regularly, they, they get better. Yes. So I don't know what the deal is with that but obviously it's not all rosy uh there's many experts and scientists who say that nicotine is not carcinogenic uh it may be a tumor promoter though uh tumor promoter yeah so like it's through this process called angiogenesis and this is when you grow new blood vessels and when it's pathogenic it like cancer loves more and more blood vessels in it in because it's term. getting more and more nutrients yes, yeah exactly and so this this pathogenic angiogenesis nicotine might contribute to that um according to a couple studies wah, wah, wah. but it's it's weird because it's not carcinogenic but it you know if you have a tumor it might promote 
that tumor okay up to management yikes so nicotine it's also a vasoconstrictor so this may end up making your skin look worse and impacting uh, blood flow to certain regions really it's a constrictor. blood flow yeah blood flow might be important okay yeah oh <laughs> so yeah definitely with diabetes you want to be careful with uh nicotine. that's true yeah. yeah that's true uh the other drawback of nicotine is that while in the short term it acts like acetylcholine in the long term it is theorized to do the opposite so it's it's kind of like this. Like I said earlier, your body, it's, it tightly regulates acetylcholine. Uh, when you take nicotine and you override that, your body goes like, whoa, there, this is way too much acetylcholine. We need to lower this. Okay. So researchers believe that long-term, nicotine may cause long-lasting changes in the nervous system by perhaps disabling nicotinic cholinergic signaling. I was going to say, that's what it, yeah, I thought yeah, I did. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> so in other words, what you get in the short term, you get the opposite with chronic use. Yes. Yeah. Which is why, you know, nicotine basically builds tolerance really quickly. So when I was using it, in a week, I went from being, you know... Sick. Sick at four milligrams to not really feeling four or more lozenges a day. I could just keep popping those things and it wasn't that big of a deal. Well, the, the same thing held true for cigarettes. I remember like if I didn't have a cigarette for a really long time and then I had one, it would knock me on my ass. Yet I would smoke five more over the course of the night or the day or the next couple of days. Nothing, you know, I, yeah. quickly would I, I would adapt. Yeah, your body kind of wises up. Yeah. And if you do that long term... Your body really starts wisening up. It starts dampening your nervous system down to account for the nicotine you're taking. Mm. And then those those long-term effects can be really long. So I saw this story online from this lady, which demonstrated this, and I'm, I'm going to read it. Okay. So I gave up smoking 21 years ago and have been plagued with weight gain and illness ever since. I started using nicotine patches around a year ago after connecting all my issues to giving up smoking, and I was shocked at the difference I feel when I use them. I recently tried to stop using them. I have fibromyalgia and my sleep is horrendous. When my sleep is bad, my pain increases and my sleep became even worse again. I couldn't get out of bed yesterday, so I'm back on the nicotine patches as of yesterday. Today, I was able to get up and go shopping with my daughter for the afternoon. Last night's sleep was okay. I'd love to have the deep restorative sleep where I wake up feeling refreshed, but at least with the patches, I'm able to get out of bed in the morning. I don't know why they help with pain and sleep. I don't care. I'm just grateful that I can function while I'm using them. Okay, so the big question that I have too is because one of the reasons that I was like, okay, enough of the cigarette stuff is that I was having cardiac arrhythmia. So oh. I would have either fast heartbeat or mm. inconsistent heartbeat or whatever. And I was like, okay, it's not really worth this. Yeah. I always wondered, is that the nicotine? Is that something you've shown up with, with nicotine having similar issues like that? Or is that as an, you know attributed to some of the other chemicals that they're putting in that? It could be. It's hard to say. I mean, right. the vagus nerve goes through your heart. So it could be that, yeah, it was worsening your arrhythmia. Right. Who knows? Or it could be you try it now and it makes your arrhythmia better. It's really strange. Weird. Yeah, it is. So where, where I think... The big issue with nicotine is, is your body basically mounts a defense against it and starts countering the effect. That's kind of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So for the people who have used nicotine for many years continuously, they might have basically permanently downregulated their receptors and acetylcholine. Permanently. Permanently. Could be. Now, where I think it can be used effectively is when it addresses a chronic disease that is very resistant to treatment or, you know, replaces a pharmaceutical that has really bad side effects. See... When you compare nicotine to a natural treatment or supplements, 
it looks bad. Yeah. It doesn't look great. <laughs> you get addicted to it. You know, you if you take it for a long time, you might have to take it forever. <laughs> they make your skin look bad. I mean, it looks bad. It may cause cardiac arrhythmia. Who knows? <laughs> but if you compare it to pharmaceuticals, it looks fantastic. Yes. <laughs> this, oh, I bet. The safety profile is way better than many of the drugs out there that treat chronic disease. I, I, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say that there are probably few, if any, pharmaceuticals used to treat chronic conditions that are safer than nicotine by itself away from smoking. Really? Yeah. So for that lady above, uh, you know, the treatment options for chronic pain and fibromyalgia are like, you know, drugs that are really awful long-term, like Lyrica and painkillers that may just end up causing their own problems probably within a few years. Yep. So if the only real downside to nicotine is that you're addicted to it, and the cost, you know, because it's going to cost you money, but it gives you serious relief, it, it should definitely be on the table. Right. Yeah. So I found this other guy who, who kind of exemplifies this, and this was his story. So I've been suffering from constant headaches for many years, sometimes lasting for a month or more. Everyone in my family suffers from headaches. Over the past few months, I've had a headache every single day. Sometimes it's crippling pain, and sometimes it's just a background annoyance, but it's always present. I read somewhere that nicotine can help with headaches. I have never smoked cigarettes, and I'm 63, but I thought I would give it a try. I bought some nicotine gum at Walmart. After seeing that the 4 milligram pieces and the 2 milligram pieces were the same price, I bought a box of 4 milligram gum and cut the pieces in half. I've been using it for a couple weeks now, and I've been headache-free most days. I usually chew a half piece, two milligrams, at a time, sometimes adding a second half. I don't do this every day, and when I do it, it's only once a day. But it's really astounding how much it's helped. I've also been trying to lose weight, and I've noticed that my appetite has decreased, and I'm able to eat smaller portions and still feel satisfied. Since I use such a small amount and don't use it every day, I'm not very worried about getting hooked on the gum. But even if I did, it would be better than the horrible headaches I've been suffering from. I'm really glad I discovered this. Hmm. Yeah. That's encouraging. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I like hearing that. Yeah. So the other really interesting thing I found is for is using nicotine to break through mental barriers around some type of task that you really dislike doing or you know find outside your comfort zone so there's this thing online called an ug field as in like ugh field yeah <laughs> it's, and it's like this like pseudo psychological phenomenon or whatever where some task is off-putting and you feel bad about doing it and this makes your brain avoid thinking about it because it feels bad but if it's something important like paying bills or doing taxes, this avoidance causes real problems. And so your brain can kind of get stuck in this loop where you don't think about something that feels bad. So you don't do it, which makes life bad, which makes you not want to think about bad things. And so you kind of get in this like little mental trap. Oh my God, it sounds like me. <laughs> right? <laughs> so nicotine is actually a tool that you can break through this ugh field with. Really? Yes. So to do this, you'd want to start at about half a milligram for the first couple of days and work your way up to about two milligrams max at any one time. So you'd take about two milligrams, 20, mil 20 minutes before this, whatever this crappy task is, right? Right. And you don't want to do probably more than eight or 12 milligrams per day. And at a certain point, maybe after a couple, couple of weeks, you're not going to feel that two milligrams at all. And this is the point where you want to stop using the nicotine. And you should also, you know, not be tempted to start using it for uh, appetite control or mood regulation right. or anything like that. After you stop the nicotine, you will find that the task, which was so off-putting to do before, is now much easier to do. 
I can't even believe it. Like we went through the whole podcast tonight and you just hooked me in right now with this. <laughs> I mean, cause that is me to a T, you know, yeah. I will talk myself or just forget about something that is a task that I don't want to do that I found, find uncomfortable or unpleasant or whatever, or just out of my zone of comfort. So dude, that's yeah. amazing to me. And so what you, you essentially do is you make this cue in your brain to find this task more rewarding than you used to. And after about a week, your receptors and your neurotransmitters, they, they get kind of back to normal and you can do it again for a different task if you want. Well, guess where I'm going on the way home tonight? <laughs> Somebody's picking up some patches. Yeah, so if you... Well, I'll use the lozenges. I'm going to start... <laughs> yeah, well, great. I'm starting nicotine in the new year. I'm not... I'm not 2020. I'm not yeah. Year of hope. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. So if you do decide to use nicotine for any of these benefits, you should know that the more nicotine you use at one time, the more addictive and down-regulating of your own acetylcholine production it will cause. See, that's my concern because I do have an addictive personality. Can I hold it at a couple of milligrams a day? Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, you got to just tune in next week to find out. <laughs> you got to just cut yourself off. You got to be like, all right, this is going to be a two-week thing because as soon as you start using it for like, oh, man, I, you know, I'm feeling a little rough or I'm feeling a little stressed. I'm just going to pop this real quick and then you feel better. That's, that's a slippery that's slope, That's a slippery friend. slope. So if you, if you remember back to the cigarettes I mentioned earlier, tobacco companies, they put chemicals in cigarettes that make nicotine absorb into your brain faster. And this is really what facilitates the addiction. Okay. It's, it's, it's how fast and how much and how hard it hits. So in my, in my own personal use, I notice uh, this difference between the lozenges and the patches. The patches kind of deliver nicotine at a really slow but steady rate throughout the day, while lozenges absorb much quicker. I feel the lozenges. Like, I, I pop one in, and, and after 20 minutes or so, I'm like, all right, I'm flying. I'm good. I'm, I'm <laughs> typing away. I'm doing research. Really? Whatever it is, I'm feeling good. But the patches, I, I barely feel those at all. But I still get the benefits to, yeah. the, to the gut stuff. So That's crazy, though. Yeah, and vaping, vaping absorbs through the lungs, and it's therefore much quicker and probably much more addicting. Mm, totally. Yeah. And more chemical-laden. <laughs> for sure i don't know what they put in in nicotine or uh vaping oils or whatever it's bad i mean whatever is happening with these kids getting mushroom lungs and all these other things that are happening yeah i mean it's just cigarettes waiting in the wings going <laughs> they cast us aside but they'll be back <laughs> so one last thing i'll say about nicotine is that uh, in children nicotine is is far riskier than adults their brains are still developing and flooding them with you know neurotransmitters it, it really might affect them for the rest of their lives which is probably why they try and get kids hooked on smoking oh boy pretty early it's probably better i mean i, I will put in a caveat it's probably better than amphetamines you know probably better than the adh you know d yeah. meds they're giving but mm -hmm. otherwise kids and nicotine they don't mix so if you're listening to this in a kindergarten class disregard exactly so some just to sum things up nicotine definitely still addicting you know far less so than smoking though uh most people who have not had a history of smoking they're gonna find nicotine really easy to go on and off of it's gonna be just like no problem yeah uh, there's some really cool uses for it especially with the chronic disease and the avoiding pharmaceuticals uh, if you do use it going off of and on of you know back and forth will help prevent some of the suppression that it can cause okay as well as not using the kinds of nicotine that really hit hard and fast like cigarettes and possibly vaping 
I think like we were talking about earlier, I think most people get in trouble when they use it for stress or something and then they accidentally just start using it continuously. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's been three years and they've used it every day and they've built up this massive tolerance and then then you find it really tough to quit. Yeah. Yeah. You got you to judge how you are and your patterns are and stuff because that's, that is my fear. Yeah. So if you want more info, there's about 15 references in the show notes that you can burn through. You can go see those twins who are... Uh, One's a smoker and one's not, and one has an old face and one doesn't. (laughs) Well, the joys of smoking. The joys of smoking. Yeah, what do you think, man? I like it, and uh, I also often wonder what my skin and face and whole physique would look like if I hadn't smoked, but I definitely smoked for a good, oh, God, I want to say 20 years. Yeah. That's a long time, on and off. It wasn't like a a pack-a-day smoker, but... I got my share. Yeah, I get you. I think, you know, smoking, we, we also talked about, I think, in another podcast that it raises testosterone. And I think smoking really had its place in society and helping people do things that we don't have to do as much anymore. I mean, those guys who were going to war, you know, paratroopers yeah. and stuff, they were smoking like chimneys. It's like, well, you kind of get it. You had to. Right? So, I mean, there it, it definitely had its place. Yeah. For sure. But... uh yeah, in our modern it's society, over. maybe just nicotine patches if you want your... I think that party's over. If you want your hit. I'll give you some lozenges when you leave. You, you can... know what? I will take them. <laughs> All right. Happily. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, don't do a whole lozenge at one time. Just, you know... Do no, how much do I just crush up about half of it and snort it? Yeah, you can You can do that. Or <laughs> rectally. That works, too. <laughs> it's minty, You know though, what? So. I'm just going to do the oral application for the first couple of times. All right. Uh, good. Yeah. Work your way up. Yep. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for the, cause I'm thinking nicotine all bad until you start telling me this stuff. And I love the fact that you're actually doing these things. He's wearing the patch right now. He's actually rubbing the patch on his chest right now <laughs> to make sure that it's there. Increases absorption. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, is it there? Okay, good, good. I, I don't want to be, you know. Right. I, so anyway. No, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. You're cool. trying these things out. I like that. I know. And we never tried out the Vitex. And we have to do it. Part of the reason why is I read another study about Vitex and men taking it, and it was really bad. It was like testicular shrinkage, and and I just got real spooked, and I just said, no, 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 we, we can't mess with this stuff. Okay. We'll find something else. We'll then. find something else to, to try out. Right. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Cool, buddy. Thank you so much again for all the knowledge. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, bud. Thanks, everybody. www.quackspodcast.com. Give us a like. Give us a share if this is useful information to you to get it out there. We really appreciate it. Send us an email at quackspodcast at gmail.com if you have a question or a show recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Raise a Palpatine.